0: Back to Seven Minutes Podcast. This is a special episode because we have actually managed to reach it to episode to reach episode ten. Yay! Hello, some enthusiasm over here.
1: I'm just waiting for you to introduce yourself. Oh, the mystery woman.
0: Oh. Well, you know, at Special this, point, guest star. this point, I would hope you would know who I am. I am Angela of this podcast.
1: You are. I'm Zach. I'm Robert, here for episode X.
0: <laughs> like like Mega Man X. Just In
1: the year 20XX.
0: Just not quite as cool as Mega Man X. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, no, this is just episode X. So that's like the year 2000X from the original Mega Man series. Mm-hmm. We put another 10 episodes. That could be episode XX.
0: Oh, Okay.
1: All right, so it's right. something to look forward to. but yeah, still
0: so. something, something to aim for.
1: A landmark <laughs> episode. We've reached double digits.
0: Yes, we have. Quite impressive. Yeah. And before we jump in, we should talk about what games we've been playing. Robert, why don't you start?
2: Oh, uh, I think the most recent thing I've been doing is I restarted <laughs> Ori and the Blind Forest. Is
1: that the first one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
2: it's good so far. For some reason... It's one of those games where every time I start playing it, I enjoy it. It looks really good. It plays really good. Or well, if you want to be (laughs) grammatical. Um, But I just get to a point where I stop playing and I'm at that point again. (laughs) Although I think I'm just stuck this time. I'm in this weird area that's all mostly dark, and I don't know if I just took a wrong turn or what, and getting frustrated. But yeah, playing that. um, Oh! I got the... Oh, man. I should just pull up the name because I'm not going to remember. It's that new Retron Game Boy slash Game Boy Color slash Game Boy Advance uh, clone console that you can plug into your TV. I think it's the Retron SQ, if I'm correct. It's a little tiny cube. So my friend Nick and... My friends Nick and Christina gave me that for my birthday. And... Uh, the timing was perfect because I think within just a few days of them giving it to me, Hyperkin put out the uh, patch that they had been talking about that would make the Game Boy Advance games run better. So when I first plugged it in, Game Boy Advance games did not run well. The frame rate was really bad. Um, So it was incredibly jerky. Like You could play, but it was way, way too rough for my tastes. But um, once the update came and I put that onto the Put that onto the system, man, what an enormous difference. The Game Boy Advance games run way better. And, you know, overall, I think it's an incredibly cool little console. It has some oddities that I think need to be fixed. For one thing, you're limited in what USB controllers you can plug into it, which I find kind of odd. It's like just whatever USB controller, just let it plug in. I don't understand why there's a limitation there.
1: It might be a little more complicated than that, but, like, what does it allow you to plug in? Uh, a lot of
2: Hyperkin controllers. <laughs> not a lot. I think yeah, it's like okay. two or
1: three different ones.
2: <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I get that. You know, it makes sense. and want, want people to use their hardware whatever. But given what the device is setting out to do, I think letting someone find the controller that works for them, because it's, you know, it's not an exact science. So, anyway...
1: Uh, that's one gripe. Um, yeah, and they're following in the footsteps of, like, the Game Boy Player and Super Game Boy, right? Yeah. And so people will come to this new Hyperkin thing having expectations or, or an ideal of what, like, what it means to play a Game Boy game on a home console.
2: Yeah, you know, I think the fact that they kind of ignored some of the quality of life features you would have expected was not the wisest decision. Mm-hmm. You get one color palette. Um, that it automatically applies on to old Game Boy games. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I would have liked No Color Palette if you're going to go that route. You know, just it's, like black
1: and white? Yeah. I yeah. mean,
2: why stick people with just one that they can't change? Um, I also think uh, that it's a little odd, although I, I get the reasoning. You're not able to save directly onto your cartridge. So if you plug in your copy of whatever, it's going to save it to the console but then when you go to play the game again on your Game Boy, it won't, you won't see the change reflected there. And they said they wanted to avoid any kind of issues with corrupting save files on the cartridge. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense.
1: I think if nothing else, you should have the option to do that if yeah, you want. Yeah, it should be a setting. It's ridiculous. I, like, I understand, right? Like no, you, It would be a PR nightmare if somebody plugged in their Pokemon cartridge and it ended up corrupting their data. Yep. But at the same time, like, if you're playing I don't know Link's Awakening or whatever you want to be able to go back and forth right
2: that's right and I think that's been kind of a common complaint about it but uh, I do think it's awesome that you can save directly to the console because then you're kind of bypassing the issue of you know dead batteries in your cartridge so you don't have to worry about it because the it's just saving onto there and then a last note on it I think it's a little disappointing that there's this sort of boot up period for every game so it's like taking the game dumping it into the console itself and then playing it through the console so you're not even really playing on the cartridge either but you know you play with the game boy boom i turned it on and i'm playing and the hyperkin it's not you're sitting and waiting and i had some issues with older cartridges not all working on it either and i don't know if that was the hyperkin Or the cartridges or what. But I have a pretty big collection of all these games, and they were not all connecting. Yeah.
1: It's kind of an interesting gizmo. I think it's cool, like, big picture for third-party companies to be creating new systems that can play these old cartridges. But it sounds like, setting aside maybe cost and difficulty of acquisition, like, what's the advantage of this versus, like, a Game Boy player for the GameCube?
2: Well, for one thing, a Game Boy player won't play Game Boy games, as uh-huh. far as I remember. So you have that entire library inaccessible, and then the Game Boy player is not going to render in HD. So the Hyperkin does. Oh, okay. Now it's only I forget what it's like, maybe 720, but like it looks great for what it is on the screen. Whereas a Game Boy player, you know, they're apparently there's, there's like there's like a rush for Game Boy players right now, and they're becoming expensive. But I'm like, you know. You've got to do quite a bit of work to get it going properly on a TV screen. Like, because, you know, modern flat screens don't have the legacy inputs for the cords you would need. And even if they do, I mean, good luck finding like the composite cables for a GameCube. They're super expensive, they're hard to find. Yeah. So, all the work you would do just to get that setup going, to me, that makes it problematic, I think, for the average person. I mean, me, I have like a whole stupid thing going with like a Wii and the composite cables and using the backwards compa- compatibility for the GameCube. So I don't mind, but that's not going to get me with a Game Boy Player hooked up. So I do, I do think, though, that with this out and people getting a taste of, hey, I can just throw all my Game Boy games up on the screen, that it's going to make it interesting to see what Analog's uh, Pocket device is going to be like, because it is a portable Game Boy clone. That lets you play not just all of Nintendo's handheld games, but also uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color and Game Gear. And they have a dock-like peripheral mm-hmm. where you can just take the, the their device, plug it into their dock, and then it goes up on the screen. Yeah. So it seems like analogs might end up being the superior version of this, but at this point it's not out yet, so we're going to have to wait and see. All right. So that was a bit of a long segue, but an interesting one, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll just stick with emulating. I think that suits me just fine. But, uh, have you, I, I think, were you playing anything else since? I know it's actually been a while since we last recorded. Yeah, huh? No, I don't really
2: think that there's been a whole heck of a lot. Oh, well, God, I'm gonna miss, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jumble the name for some reason. Save Me Mr. Taco? Yeah,
1: I yeah, think the that's definitive
2: right. edition of that came out, and, uh, LRG sent me a, uh, code to play it and that review is going to go up uh very soon that game's really cool coincidentally another game boy inspired title um but the developer totally went to town doing everything that you know they could to make it feel like a game boy game and it really really does it looks good on a tv but i think if you play that handheld mode on a switch it feels more at home because it's portable Mm -hmm. but either way Really good. Um, it has an entirely new translation, so there's a little bit of controversy with this game, or I don't know if controversy is the right word, but basically Nicalis was the publisher, and Nicalis has had some issues with devs and games getting delisted. So Save Me Mr. Taco in its original form is no longer in the eShop. And it's likely no one will ever play that version of the game again. Because
1: that translation was tied up with the Alice's
2: publishing. That's right. And there's other things to play. So he wanted to make the game better. And so he wanted to do a patch. And essentially the patch has just turned into this definitive version of the game. And I thought I thought he did a really good job. I, I do think it's better than the first. And
0: if you downloaded the first version, do you still have access to it?
2: Uh, As far as I know, uh, yes, you do have access to it, because I did not have it on my Game Boy, not my Game Boy, my my Switch Lite, Mm -hmm. and so when I went to go
1: uh,
2: re-download it, it was there still for me.
1: okay. I think it's normally how it works with delisted games, unless there's like some, like, unless the game turns out to itself be illegal or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what have you been playing, Zach?
1: Uh, Well, I've been playing a lot of Final Fantasy XIV, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, I'll, I'll let, maybe let Angela take the lead on discussing our exploits since, <laughs> since the last time. Okay. Um, but I've also, you know, I do this every six months or so. I, I, uh, re-upped my, um, uh, Xbox Game Pass subscription to kind of catch up on, on things that have accumulated or that I was interested in. Uh, this time paid for by Cheez-Its. I don't know if I mentioned <laughs> that previously, but i I'd, I'd gotten... Uh, like a free month of Xbox Game Pass for buying Cheez-Its. Had to cash it in before June, so got around to it. And um, yeah, so playing a few things, it's always like hit or miss kind of by design because if there were things I knew I would love, I probably would have bought them when they came out. So these are are like a bunch of maybes I'm filtering through. Tried a game called Genesis Noir, which is a kind of artsy indie title which is presented... With kind of, I don't know, like mid-century animation style. I, I, like I associate this kind of stuff with like I don't know, groovy '60s kind of stuff. But it's like kind of like it's like a lot of dark backgrounds and uh, stylized white uh, characters. Um, the the setup for the game is like it's a murder. And you're trying to, like, solve and or somehow prevent the murder, but it's, the whole thing is kind of sloppily metaphorical for the Big Bang and the, like, history of the universe. It's like, it's recontextualizing the Big Bang as a bullet. From a gun, right? Mm. So, like, it's it's about as up its own butt as that elevator pitch <laughs> makes it sound.
2: The big blam. Uh,
1: which, you know, like, the, the style of it is pretty cool, but it's just... It's hardly interactive, and it's just kind of like... I don't know, it's like a very slow version of... Like a, a Where's Waldo or Hidden Object kind of game, almost, where I'm just, like, moving a cursor around the screen seeing what I can interact with, so... It, I did stick with it for a few hours, but it was just slow enough, and it started to kind of, like, spread itself a little too thin. Like, it wasn't just Big Bang. There was, like, you know, evolution stuff in there, like mm-hmm. history of life on Earth, et cetera, and I kind of petered out on that. Um, I also didn't stick with uh, Code Vein, which sometimes gets called Anime Souls, which in gameplay is a lot like Dark Souls, but it uh, well, it's, it's very anime-styling. Um, in in both the character designs there's a lot of like jiggling breasts on scantily clad female characters it's so very senran kagura yeah like not not quite as like shameless or nakedly if you'll forgive the expression nakedly naked <laughs> right like if if somebody if i if i saw somebody playing senran kagura i i would i would have assumptions about their motivations for playing that game you know <laughs> Um, or if I saw somebody playing, like, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball, I would, again, I'd be like, I know what's going on here, and I should back out of the room. I actually uh, <laughs> had
2: no idea what Senran was the first time I played one of those games. I got a code for one of the 3DS games. And so, you know, I had the pretty anime women in. I'm like, all right, whatever. And so I start to play, and, you know, you're fighting, and I'm realizing, hey, her clothes are shredding off. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what this game is. Yeah, and
1: the, So Code Vein is a little more on the level of like the main Dead or Alive series where there is actually like gameplay as a draw. But at the same time, like you would be maybe a little embarrassed to play it with your parents in the room. So it's, it's kind of on that level. <laughs> the story is like tropey anime stuff and... The game was like the balance was weird. This this actually ended up like I wasn't loving the um, like the character designs and things like that. The music was really good. What ended up putting me off the game though was that it's mostly really easy for a Souls game. Um, and then I got stuck on a boss like so it was just like this difficulty spike. And I, I realized I hadn't really been engaging with all like the like the stat building character building mechanics up until that point. And I just kind of had a gut check of like. I don't really want to go through, like, 20 menus and figure out how best to, like, grind up and configure my character for this. So I put that down. The one thing I have been playing that I did, I'm, I'm still sticking with, is called Greedfall, which is, it's a third-person computer RPG. So kind of like a, like Witcher 2 or 3 or Dragon Age or something like that. Um, but it takes place in a kind of a weird age of colonialization World with a bunch of different, like, fantasy old world powers, all uh, interested in colonizing this weird quasi Native American, quasi Celtic uh, island called Tirfridi. And you play as a diplomat from one of those nations, and you're trying to, like, build alliances and unravel mysteries. And it's definitely got, it does not have the budget of a game like Witcher or Dragon Age, but uh, it has. I find like the the story set up and a lot of the interactions really interesting. It's I find it to be a really interesting world in a way that game worlds often aren't. So that and Final Fantasy fourteen are what I've been dividing my time between these days.
0: Yeah, um, I'm enjoying Final Fantasy fourteen more than I was. Um, I, I think that one of the biggest faults of that game is that it takes so long. At least in my opinion. Um, For the story to get interesting, for you as a character to even look interesting, you know, it's really not until about level 50. And I do find that you level up kind of fast, um, at least up until that point, and then then that's when it seems like you start leveling up a lot slower. But um, now that, you know, I've completed all the the ninja quests and I finally have cool armor, um, and the story is picking up more, I'm actually enjoying it more because I really just felt like I was just kind of getting through this story just to get to the point where I didn't look like an idiot and I wasn't in this like ugly, stupid leveling gear. Uh, but now the story is um, actually pulling me in it's more compelling, but I'm still at the, I, I haven't yet gotten into heaven's word. And so the voice acting is still really, really bad. <laughs> so I'm just luckily you can skip most of it, almost all of it. And so I'm just, I'm reading faster than the characters are, are speaking and, and skipping past as much as possible but um,
1: yeah, some of the voices are like passable at best but yeah, a lot of them are just atrocious
0: really bad But so that's what I've, I've actually been spending the majority of my time on and then as I mentioned before I play um, a little bit of Animal Crossing New Horizons every day I just do my daily tasks I'm mainly looking out for red every day um, and I haven't really talked about I haven't been mentioning Animal Crossing New Horizons just because I'm not doing anything new um, but that's actually starting to frustrate me because uh, you know the game is a little over a year old now, and it's it's just really wanting for content. And I actually that became even more apparent to me than it already was because I started picking up um, Pocket Camp again. Um, I've been like really into Pocket Camp, and there's just there's so much furniture and there's just so much stuff. Of course, it's a little annoying because some of it is behind some paywall type stuff. All of these things you can get without having to pay anything if you want to play endlessly for a really long time and get um, leaf tickets, which you accumulate very, very slowly if you don't just outright buy them. Um, So that's the biggest problem with Pocket Camp because it's a mobile game, but it does have so much content, um, especially compared to New Horizons, which is really disappointing. Uh, because New Horizons is is a great game, and it looks great, and I would rather play a console game than a mobile game any day. So uh, I've been playing a lot of those. And then uh, also got back into uh, Mario Kart Tour. Mario Kart Tour is no Mario Kart 8, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but it's still really fun. And unfortunately, I missed uh, the two-week Ninja Tour, uh, and so I missed my opportunity to get um, Ninja Shy Guy. So, <laughs> uh, but they do bring characters back. With every new cup, you have the opportunity to get characters that were released in the past. And so I'm just playing, hoping to get Ninja Shy Guy again. Um, but I missed uh, Ninja Hideaway, uh, which is one of the the newer tracks that they released. And I was watching people playing on YouTube, but just. I heard nothing but good things about that track. People were saying the music was good. It was one of the best original tracks basically since the game has been out and so I, I it really sucks that I missed.
1: So that the one Ninja is, Week. as far as you know, you're locked out of forever, but you still have a chance of getting Ninja Shaggy.
0: Yeah, because they at least so far as I know, they don't really bring they, they will have track, you know, each each cu- or each tour mm-hmm. has multiple cups and there will be uh, you know, a variety of tracks, but I can't really, don't quote me on this because I might be wrong. Like, for example, I don't remember seeing any of the Tokyo tracks once the Tokyo tour was over, or the Sydney tour was right after the Ninja one, and I haven't seen any Sydney tour tracks since. So yeah, I think like the specific, um, the tour specific ones, I think just go away. Um, And you can't access them again, but the actual characters, you have a chance of of earning again. Uh, But again, also paywall stuff, because it's a stupid mobile game. Sure. Uh, You know, you have to, um, you can pull, it's called like pulling a pipe. And so you just kind of like pull down on your screen uh, a Mario pipe, um, and then it shoots out. randomly selected, um, characters, carts, or, um, So this is how they visually
1: represent (laughs) the arm of a slot machine.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yep. Exactly. Or a gotcha machine. Yeah. And, uh...
2: I had told, I had told Angie that when Mario Kart Tour came out, I was obsessed with that game. I thought it was incredibly fun. It easily is the best, I would say, mobile title Nintendo's probably put out. Although, I know Pocket Camp has its devotees, but... Um, I got frustrated with that game because I was doing the weekly cup and I think for 2 or 3 weeks in a row I had come out first. Now, when the game launched, there was no true uh, you know, player versus player multiplayer. It was bots or ghosts or whatever. So, I noticed that despite the fact I was coming in first in this, you know, weekly tournament, uh by the time that I had done it, Like the third or fourth time in a row, suddenly it was aggressively out, you know, outdoing me in terms of points. And so like the first the last couple weeks it had done that, I was able to climb back and I ended up in first and then I stayed in first until uh, the next round started. But the last time it was like this ridiculous jump in points over what I had done and I had been playing religiously. So I had really good characters. Everything was where it would be so that I could be competitive And then it wasn't letting me get first anymore. And it felt deliberate. Hmm. And that pissed me off. And I haven't played it since. But the way Angie has been talking about it, I'm tempted to go and play it again. But the only reason I don't want to is because I feel like Nintendo is testing the waters for what they can try to get away with with Mario Kart 9. Mm -hmm.
0: And I don't Mm -hmm. want
2: some games as service garbage as part of that experience. Yeah. So... You know, all the cool little characters, like the different versions of of them, like Ninja Shy Guy and whatever. I love all those and I hope that we see them in the next Mario Kart. But, you know, some jerk is sitting there thinking, well, you know, if they're willing to pay for all these different skins and tour, maybe they'll be willing to pay for it in nine in some way. And I'm not looking forward to that. Do
1: Do they do any of that kind of stuff in Splatoon?
2: uh no you don't pay for anything in splatoon i think the only thing you pay for in splatoon is the octo expansion content which is single player and then it gives you octo uh, you can be octolings in multiplayer as a result but that's it
0: yeah um yeah so robert's point and this is actually something i was going to bring up um one of the things i hope that they implement implement mario kart 9 uh is the addition of the different the different versions of characters, um, Mario wearing his uh, his hakata and Peach and Daisy and their kimonos, Ninja shy guy. There's just all kinds of random ones. Like I've uh, the current cup um, or the current tour, I pulled Builder Toad and Builder Luigi, uh, and they're they're funny. You know, you're you're driving, and then every time you you do a jump or a trick, you know, your character will do an animation like in um, you know mario kart 8 and like the builder ones like they're doing stuff with their hammers and it's just it's really cute and it's unique and like i pulled um i pulled bus driver waluigi which i think was from the london tour and he's wearing like a plaid like plaid his 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 overalls but they're plaid (laughs) um and so yeah, i've pulled a lot of interesting um characters and so yeah i would like to see that um in mario kart 9
1: Hmm.
0: uh but yeah not not if it's gonna be not if they're going to try and sneak in microtransaction stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been up to. Yeah. Well, um, good segue then into today's topic. Um, so for our tenth episode, Zach suggested that we take a couple of different gamer profile, gaming profile tests.
1: Yeah, we spent so long talking about <laughs> games. What about what about the player? Right. So, so these are just the so, person behind the game, exactly.
0: So I will actually let Zach tell us how he came across these tests, why he thought they were worth worthwhile, worth taking. Sure.
1: Um, so these are uh, tests of they, they there's, they're alleged to measure slightly different things, but they both boil down to like the differences between players and, um. I'd run across one of them years ago in, on, like, a game design blog. Uh, it's called the, the Bartle Test. It's named after a guy named Richard Bartle, um, just because he's the guy who came up with it. And it originated in uh, early online gaming. So this guy invented the first mud, uh, which muds are, like, the predecessors of MMOs. They were like text-based virtual shared worlds. It stands for multi-user dungeon. Um, And so this guy co-created the very first MUD and after enough time observing a bunch of different player types, because that's kind of something that's unique about online games like that, is you can, like if you invent, if you design Pac-Man, you're not going to see that many different players playing Pac-Man in the wild. But if you run an online game, you get to observe a bunch of like very divergent uh, examples of human nature. So this is his attempt to categorize the kinds of players he saw in terms of what motivated them. Um, So that one's like kind of like kind of homegrown made by a designer. Uh, The other one is by a, a market research firm called Quantic Foundry. So this one is much more like trying to quantify players as customers In a sense, I think that's part of their motivation. They'd give talks at like GDC about this stuff. They sell their services to major publishers to try and quantify who's playing their game and what they're after. So one is a little more corporate than the other. One is a little more, um, I guess, punk in its origins. Neither to be taken all that seriously. But I thought it would be fun for us to all take these tests and kind of compare. Um, I think we all have some sense of what each other's tastes are. But still, it's a way to have fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe do a little bit of ribbing each other.
0: <laughs> well, you certainly did that with me when I got my results. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, then why don't you lead us off with? So, uh, which which test would you like to, like us to start with? Let's
1: start with the start with the Bartle.
0: Okay. Um, so why don't you walk us through your Bartle results?
2: Yeah. So before you do that, <clears throat> should we? explain the different categories and yeah. just read
1: our yeah. results or yeah
0: Zach why don't you walk us through the
1: Sure. Uh so it's it's uh this test divides people into like four types basically uh which they call explorers, achievers, socializers, and killers. <laughs> uh being like like four motivations for for uh, for the gamer. It was originally again in that a uh, multiplayer online game context, but it also can be applied to single-player stuff. So, uh, to I'm not going to read the, the whole test description, but just like a bite size to in, give more of a sense of what each of these are. Uh, Explorers delight in having the games expose its internal machinations to them. They try progressively esoteric actions in wild, out of the way places, looking for interesting features and figuring how things work. Achievers regard points gathering and rising in levels as their main goal, and all is ultimately subservient to this. Socializers are interested in people and what they have to say. The game is merely a backdrop, a common ground where things happen to players. Interpersonal relationships are important. Finally, killers get their kicks from imposing themselves on others. Um, This may be nice in some ways, like busybody do-gooding, but few people practice such an approach. Um, Much more commonly, people attack other players with a view to killing um, killing off their opponents. The more massive the distress caused, the greater the killer's joy. Um, And he further uh, gives these cutesy playing card suit labels like Socializer's Heart, Achiever's Diamond, Explorer's Spades because they're like digging stuff up, and Killer's Clubs because they club people over the head. Hmm. Um, But so I took the test, series of questions, and uh, my results uh, were... Uh, these are all like rated on a scale of 1 to 100. I came up as 100% explorer and then 53 achiever, 40 socializer, and just 7 killer. Um, I was expecting, for, for my sake, to have uh, at the very least a lower killer score than the two of you, certainly a lower <laughs> killer score than, than Angela. I've seen the way you work. <laughs> Um and I I was not surprised to see Explorer top my list either. That that um that that made sense to me. Um I do a lot of uh like reading about, strategizing about games, trying to figure out all the like best ways to optimize and learn things just for the sake of optimization. Um yeah. And I, I even spent a lot of time like researching new games to play. Um, even before I get situated and start playing them.
0: So this is the description for explorers explorers delight in having the game expose its internal ma- is this machinations or machinations
1: you know i'm not confident
0: yeah and i've, I've never have been i'm an english major and i, I don't even know how <laughs> <laughs> <It might laughs> that machinations. out loud let's go with machinations explorers delight in having the game expose its internal machinations to them they try progressively esoteric actions in wild, out-of-the-way places, looking for interesting features, i.e., bugs, and figuring out how things work. Scoring points may be necessary to enter some next phase of exploration, but it's tedious, and anyone with half a brain can do it. Killing is quicker and might be a constructive exercise in its own right, but it causes too much hassle in the long run if the deceased return to seek retribution. Socializing can be informative as a source of new ideas to try out, but most of what people say is irrele- most of what people say is irrelevant or old hat. The real fun comes only from discovery and making the most complete set of maps in existence. Do you feel that that accurately describes you in your gameplay style?
1: I don't know if to a T, but I definitely I definitely see myself in there. Um, I, uh, I am a big believer in making your own maps, making your own notes, um, hmm. and deepening, uh, at least for me, deepening my appreciation of the game.
0: Uh, I mean, that's how you play the original Zelda. You and your yeah. dad actually drew out a map
1: I need to give my mom credit for those maps too okay like she she for uh, when she was playing games on the NES in particular she had copious notes she would write down things every villager said she had like <laughs> notebooks maps for everything so, so
0: you got your explorer tendencies from your mom then
1: uh, probably from both but yeah <laughs> yeah
0: okay um I I pull up these test results here um so i scored sixty seven killer sixty achiever fifty three explorer and twenty socializer yeah I'm not really surprised by the way this this uh broke down for me uh uh you know the the killer part yeah if I think about how I play really any game um if if it's story based I am invested in the story um i also i should note. I am a really, really... Like, with pretty much everything in my life, um, I'm a really picky person. (laughs) (laughs) Although I wouldn't really say I'm a picky eater. Everybody's got their likes and dislikes, and I do too. But um, other than that, yeah, I'm extremely picky about everything in my life, and that includes um, what I play. Uh, I've certainly not played anywhere near as many games as Robert and Zach. um, But when I do you know there's something about that game that i really like and so i'm invested in it even if it's not super story based but thinking about the games that i tend to gravitate towards and my play styles um yeah i am definitely more aggressive i'm definitely more about the offense than the defense i mean even in pokemon like whenever i get something like my pokemon would learn something like swords dance or whatever as soon as I could get rid of that, I <laughs> would get rid of that. And maybe more um, tactical players, you know, are like, well, those... Those are good moves to know. The sword you
1: know. dance like a buff, like uh, increases your attack. Yeah, I think increases or? your.
0: I think it increases your attack if I'm remembering correctly. But
1: but you it, can't you can't stand the idea of pressing a button to increase your attack and then pressing a button to attack. You yeah. just want to press the attack button twice. Yeah, no,
0: that 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 is a a turn wasted in my, <laughs> in my opinion. So yeah, I'm definitely more on the offensive, and so even in a game like like Mario Kart, um, you're just racing, but it has that that aspect of, of attacking other players, and, and I can definitely get more aggressive um, in that regard. But you do also have to play defensively in Mario Kart if you want to win. Um, but yeah, for the Achiever thing, you know, I think of, like, Animal Crossing and how, like, in New Horizons right now, my goal is filling up my, my uh, catalog, completing my catalog with all the different color variations of all the different items, uh, completing my museum, um, but in particular the art wing the art gallery um and so yeah i mean in that way you know i'm an achiever uh i'm not like someone who's obsessed with a hundred percenting a game or getting all the trophies or whatever but yeah if it's something that i'm really interested in um then yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try collecting all of those things that i'm interested in um explorer uh yeah 53 is not necessarily a an off score in this regard, I think, um, because I think of like games like, uh, Yakuza zero or Witcher three, where I did get a lot of enjoyment out of like looking around in the different nooks and crannies of, um, you know, Tokyo or Osaka or the continent, (laughs) I think for Witcher three, whatever that world is called, but, um, yeah, exploring and finding things. Um, I get a lot of enjoyment out of. But yeah, the, of the of the four socializer having such a, a low score. Yeah, I don't I don't care. Like with Final Fantasy 14, it's a super social game. People have their guilds and they love getting together and you'll be walking around towns and you'll see people that are just they've gotten together just to to, to dance together.
1: Yeah. You know, and
0: they're just standing in doorways dancing or um yeah, and it's just not really my my thing now. Like one interesting social aspect, um, can you remind me the name of the author of Berserk? Uh,
1: oh yeah, uh, Kentaro uh, Miura, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, he just passed away, um, and you know, condolences to his his family. Um, but. He just passed away. And so in Final Fantasy XIV, you know, Zach and I were playing a couple days ago. I think it was the day that, that he died.
1: Well, he died um, actually early May. It just oh, only got okay. announced.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, everyone had just found out. And this was just a couple days ago. And um, we were in, uh, what is that? Ul'dah? Yeah, Old Yeah. And uh, running around and all of these dark nights, you know, just... just I, I think by the time we saw it, it was hundreds... And then I think by the next day, I would not doubt it was in the thousands of dark nights, just standing in old uh, um, with their little campfire uh, minions, mm-hmm. um, just standing there just to to honor this incredibly loved author
1: i think it was just spontaneous you know like like a couple people started off and then every time somebody who has (laughs) a dark night job teleports into old they're just like oh i guess this is what i'm doing now
0: yeah and so you know those social aspects of games can be really interesting and but they're just not for me um i'm just there for the game and the story and I mean, I guess you could say something like getting enjoyment out of um, competing against people online in in Smash or in Mario Kart is a bit social, but that's about as far as I go. I
1: think only if your motivation is to hang out. So there's like yeah. a social <laughs> aspect of like you and Robert and your cousins getting together to play yes. Mario Kart.
0: Yes, but, that's about as far but as... But
1: not with I strangers. Go. No. I am... I don't know if you were at all surprised mm-hmm. by... Uh, me having Explorer as my highest or Killer as my lowest, but I was absolutely not surprised by you having Killer as your highest and Socializer <laughs> as your lowest. If anything, I, I expected your results to be more extreme.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, in uh, um, the spirit of keeping people informed here, for Killer, where did that go? Ah, here we go. Here's the definition for Killers. Killers get their kicks from imposing themselves on others. This may be nice, i.e. busybody do-gooding, but few people practice such an approach because the rewards, a warm, cozy inner glow apparently, aren't very substantial. (laughs) Much more commonly, people attack other players with a view to killing off their personae, hence the name for this style of play. The more massive the distress caused, the greater the killer's joy at having caused it. Normal point scoring is usually required so as to become powerful enough to begin causing havoc in earnest, An exploration of a kind is necessary to discover new and ingenious ways to kill people. Even socializing is sometimes worthwhile beyond taunting a recent victim, for example in finding out someone's playing habits or discussing tactics with fellow killers. They're all just means to an end, though, only in the knowledge that a real person somewhere is very upset by what you've just done, yet can themselves do nothing about it. Is there any true adrenaline-shooting juicy fun?"
1: extremely strongly recommends me, it reminds me of, I think this is the previous episode of Robert's anecdote about counter-camping somebody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, there was a
2: counter-camp story I didn't share last time that I'm going to share right now. Okay. Uh, it was another incident where this person kept camping a certain area. Uh, I believe this was, again, Black Ops, <laughs> the first Black Ops. And so what I did was... Like, older shooter games especially, you could really figure out where people were going to spawn. So by the time you get to Black Ops, it wasn't as easy to figure out where everyone was going to spawn, but I could always figure a general area of where you're likely going to appear if I just slaughtered you. So this idiot was mad because I kept coming to get him out of his little hidey hole. And so what I started doing is every time I'd kill him... I would progress further away from the spot that I was at towards where I thought he would be spawning. (laughs) And I think I killed him seven or eight times in a row because every single time he just rushed where he knew I had been (laughs) right into my line of sights and I'd kill him. Oh, that was great.
0: (laughs) This, This is why Robert is also a killer like me.
2: Yeah. So my killer ranking was 87%. Uh, 67% Explorer, 33% Achiever, and 13% Socializer. <laughs> uh, remind me, though, what Achiever is again? The
0: uh, the definition? Yeah. Um, achievers regard points gathering and rising in levels as their main goal, and all is ultimately, ultimately subservient to this. Exploration is necessary only to find new sources of treasure or improve ways of wringing points from it. Socializing is a relaxing method of discovering what other players know about the business of accumulating points, that their knowledge can be applied to the task of gaining riches. Killing is only necessary to eliminate rivals or people who get in the way, or to gain vast amounts of points, if points are awarded for killing other
2: players. Okay. Um, well, looking at my results, I guess I'm not surprised that I'm killer. Um. We're not. (laughs) 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 I mean, I don't know. I guess part of it, and that's the reason Socializer's so low on there for me, I just, I have no set, I gain nothing from, like, showing up in some game where it's like, look at all these strangers, I have new friends, oh, we're all part of this group, and And I don't care. It's like, it's so, like, (laughs) full respect to the Berserk tribute, that was, yeah, that was kind of cool, but, like, I... I just, I don't get it. You know, my brain's not wired for like, I'm going to show up in this fake town square and hi, let's dance. I'm just like, where's the next mission? Send me now. Yeah, I was like...
0: You know, for, for me, it, it's almost an annoyance. I'm just trying to go through the game. I'm heading to my next story quest, and there's, like, these five or six people that are standing in a doorway, and they're all doing the... There's this dance you can do in Final Fantasy fourteen. and it's timed perfectly, so they're all doing it at the exact same time. And I'm just rushing through them, like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. <laughs> I'm on to my next story
2: quest. Yeah, I don't know what it is with that kind of stuff. I just find it annoying, and... Like, if I'm going to socialize with anyone, it's going to be people I know. So, like, with Call of Duty, you know, I had that group of friends that I would play with, and that was fun. So, you know, that was, I guess, the extent of my socializing. Uh, Zach mentioned something about family. I'll socialize with family because we're playing Mario Kart or Smash or whatever, but... In terms of me going online to play, it's like, oh wow, you know, an invite to join up to play multiplayer with someone denied, yeah. not interested, don't know you.
0: Yeah, um, that's why I'm glad Zach and I will do these dungeons in Final Fantasy 14 together because I think it's considered good, um, good manners or good etiquette to say hello uh, because you know when you're doing these dungeons you get thrown together with random people, which is perhaps not surprisingly, my least favorite part of the experience is <laughs> is, is getting, having to do dungeons with strangers. Um, uh, but I'm glad I do this with Zach because he, one, is the one with the keyboard, and two, is the one who will if we jump in and, and he'll just quickly type, you know, hi or hello or, or something like that. Um,
2: so in fairness, I do think there are times in my life, though, where I haven't been completely antisocial. That's where the 13%, I guess, comes in. (laughs) You know, I remember playing Destiny, and I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast. And you can dance in Destiny in the first one. You can make your your character do that. Mm -hmm. I remember just randomly doing that, I guess, to be annoying. (laughs) So maybe I get it a little more than I'm admitting to, but... It's just not necessarily
1: my thing. Honestly, uh, that sounds like a more killer way to socialize. You're imposing <laughs> yourself on other people if you're doing it to be annoying. Well, that's true. Well, it's... in terms of the killer thing, like
2: I do like competition. We talked about that last time. So I guess that makes sense. I really do enjoy seeing another person's skills set against, you know, an actual human player. And so that's appealing. Uh in terms of explorer, Uh, I do like exploring. Uh, I don't know that I want 100% most games. There are certain series where I do feel that way. So Mario games, I want to get every star. I don't know why. Uh, But I don't necessarily care about doing that for Zelda. So I don't usually go and get every heart container. Uh, I'll get a lot of them, but I don't need all of them. Same. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, those games, I would obsessively get all the the jigsaw pieces. Mm Mm-hmm. Um but yeah I I think in terms of in terms of games cuz like when I'm looking at the uh the achiever part I'm thinking of RPGs that I've played and like Pokemon I will try to get my party leveled up and really powerful but I've never gotten a Pokemon all the way up to like level 99 Same mm-hmm. like I don't really get much pleasure out of doing <laughs> that but in terms of finding All of the uh, stuff in certain games, I do, well, the game that comes right into my head is Mario RPG. I remember when that game came out, we had the player's guide, the Nintendo Power Player's Guide, and I saw the lazy shell weapon and armor, and how there was this whole chain of events that you had to go through in order to get it. And that was uh, incredibly appealing to me. So, stuff like that fascinates me in a game. I love finding secrets. I love, like... So, Mario Sunshine. uh, The level where you're... I think you're in Noki Bay. And you go into this big glass bottle. And in the bottle, there's this weird sort of multi-hauled... I don't even know what you would call it. Some kind of a chamber. And behind the door of one of them, if you position the camera, you can see a book that's behind the door. Hmm. You can't access it in-game. And it was incredibly fascinating just to see. That's the sort of thing I like in games.
1: That stuff is great. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I do think there's, at least for me, there's a difference between being motivated to like get your number all the way up and getting something special, right? Like the lazy shell, for example, right? Like that's not just, Oh, it's more powerful. It's like, why is it called lazy? Like what's special about it? You get, you get curious about a different way.
2: Yeah. Um, and, you know, that I think that's also part of the reason I find, um, like, the Cutting Room Floor. I've mentioned that website before, tcrf.net. Um, those guys are data miner people. They go into the Coda games, stuff like that, look for secrets. That also tickles my brain. You know, I like kind of knowing, oh, you know, what elements weren't used? You know, what what things did you find that never made their way into the final product? And particularly with older games that stuff is even more curious to me like if you played goldeneye growing up there was that island off in the distance in the dam level where uh so the opening level you get up on the dam and you can see there's a looks like a guard tower and you can actually shoot it in like the windows out and stuff and there's no way to access it and <laughs> there were like so many rumors of how you could actually get over there and ways to do it that none of them were true. Uh, Smash Bros. Melee, uh, everyone was insistent that Tails, uh, Sonic, I think at least Sonic, Sonic and Tails maybe, were in it. And there was this ridiculous challenge, it was like you had to beat, uh, what's it called in Smash Bros., the Cruel?
0: Yeah, Cruel Melee. Yes, Mm -hmm.
2: you had to get some number of kills in Cruel Melee, and like... I remember trying forever and was like, I can't do it. I don't know how anybody could do it. And of course that turned out not to be real.
1: It reminds um, me of trying to bring Aeris back in Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. Or uh, Leo in Final Fantasy Six. Do you remember the uh, the Shenlong rumors for Street Fighter Two? So uh, Ryu has like a win quote where he says, You must defeat Shenlong to stand a chance. But I think Shenlong is just like a mistranslated Dragon Punch? so like he's trying to say, like, <laughs> you gotta learn to deal with my dragon punch if you're gonna have a chance against me. Mm. Uh, but people thought like who is Shenlong? <laughs> and EGM posted uh or I sorry, not posted back in the days of paper, <laughs> they called it published <laughs> an issue of EGM where uh it had turned out to just be an April Fool's joke, but they didn't say this up front. Mm. Um they of like you, you gotta get through like every stage and the highest difficulty without ever getting hit once. <laughs> If you perfect every round, then after you beat M. Bison, Shenlong will show up out of nowhere. And I, I I I don't even know how many man hours or boy hours they wasted <laughs> <laughs> as a result of that.
2: That's incredibly funny. Uh, I guess the last of these sort of things, of course, is the stop and swap in Banjo-Kazooie. That, you know, completely was mystifying. It's like, oh, wow, you know, here's the codes in Nintendo Power and you can get these eggs and what do they do? And, you know... 20 years later, nobody knows because they never actually ended up doing (laughs) anything with it. (laughs) So explore all that. That's that's me. And then, you know, just a touch on Achiever to finish it off. Um, I mean, I like grinding when I'm into the game. So like Mario RPG, I definitely would grind and get my characters super powerful. Pokemon, um, even though I never ended up fully beating it. Dragon Quest... Nine, I believe that's the one that was on DS. There were multiple ones on DS, but that was the one that
1: was original to DS. Yes. Yeah. So
2: that game was really fun. And I don't know why I ended up not continuing, but I was playing it for hours and got hell of powerful. So, <laughs> you know, that, that appeals to me, but like in terms of like, I don't know, I guess, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go get all this loot so that I can level up and do this and do that. Like it really depends on my attachment to the game on how much I actually want to go do that. So that was my results for this test.
0: Yeah, one thing I wanted to note about Socializer. Um I think part of the reason why, unsurprisingly, my score is also um the lowest. I, I had scored twenty on Socializer. Um Zach and I were playing in a dungeon and uh in Final Fantasy XIV and uh the tank you know I this, this is part like So many things. I I get worried about, uh, you know, being perceived as the weakest link, (laughs) (laughs) dragging the party down or not doing what I'm supposed to be doing right. But I at least know, thanks to Zach, you know, let the tank go ahead. They should be in the lead. Let them pull enemies, meaning the enemy will focus its attention on the tank, and then everybody can jump in and start attacking. We were playing with someone who either didn't know this or didn't care. I don't know. Um, But this person kept going ahead of the tank. And so they're pulling enemies. But the tank is also pulling enemies because that's what the tank is supposed to be doing. So we were just getting inundated by all of these enemies. It's fun and it's challenging when you're you're going against this massive group of enemies at once. But also that's not how you're supposed to be playing. And you don't know if everybody in the party is comfortable with that type of gameplay um and also just that's not what you're supposed to be doing so just let let the tank do what they're going to do and um you know even after you know dropping into the chat you know hey so and so let the tank pull um the message didn't really seem to get across entirely and so that's just one of the many a couple of the different reasons why i just when it comes to playing socially or playing together, and especially with people you don't know, I'm just not into it.
1: Yeah. You know, even I, like, I scored higher on Socializer than the two of you, but even still, it was a low-ish score. That's mm-hmm. definitely, like, as a group, that's our lowest motivation,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, I, I find it kind of fascinating, honestly. Uh, like, it's a, a, not necessarily the socializing aspect of that kind of thing, like the dungeon experience you're talking about, but, like observing of and coming to understand the kind of the culture of the game right Mm -hmm. it's like if people want to do whatever they want to do like that's fine like if they have their own private party they're doing a dungeon with but just kind of coming to learn like how the community has through all these individual interactions created this culture and this expectation and being able to see like you're messing up buddy (laughs) (laughs) you're the jerk
0: (laughs) all right well so those are our Bartle test results. So now we're going to move on to our Quantic Foundry results. Um, Zach, why don't you explain the different?
1: Sure. So um, like I mentioned at the outset, this is a little more corporate in its origins. Uh, it was a, I think it was a, this was started by a couple of people that had worked at Ubisoft. And uh, they had like a, like a math or statistical background, something like that. And then went off to create their own market research agency, and this is their thing. So they are, um, like with the Bartle, uh, it's a it's like a series of questions they present people with, kind of like you know would you rather kind of questions, and um, they uh, they break player motivations down into twelve different categories. They're all. Fairly self-explanatory, so I'm not going to read blurbs to explain them, but I will list out what the categories are. Uh, Under the heading of action, they have destruction and excitement. Um, That is maybe a little less clear, but that's like enjoying fast-paced, intense games with an adrenaline rush, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Under the social heading, they have competition and community. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, competitive versus co-op, sort of. Under mastery, they have challenge, um, and strategy. Uh, so, you know, practicing and honing your gameplay versus planning in advance, Uh, under the heading of achievement, they have completion versus power. So this kind of speaks to what Robert, uh, was getting at earlier with like talking about the lazy shell versus just leveling up your Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is like a new exciting thing to get, getting all the things that already get in the game versus just making your, your power level go up. Um, under creativity, we have discovery and design. So discovery being like, you know, looking for secrets, uh, and design being kind of like more like Mario maker, Minecraft mm-hmm. creation stuff. And then finally in the immersion category, we have fantasy, uh, it's like imagining being someone or somewhere else and story just wanting I guess that's fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. So they break them out into these six pairs that the, the test makers say are like relatively correlated. That's kind of a mixed bag, at least looking at our results. Like there's some where we're all just really split on the two subcategories. So I don't, I don't necessarily put a lot of faith in that. But we do all have um, like percentage ratings for each of these 12 categories. And then this other thing that I'll just say up front that I don't put a lot of stock in <laughs> The test also tries to assign, uh, like, your player type, which is, like, some kind of cutesy label. Like, they, for me, for example, they labeled me an acrobat. <laughs> and they go on to say acrobats are solo gamers who primarily want to take on challenging gameplay and they want to practice over and over again until they can take on the most difficult missions and bosses in the game. And, like, that's not completely out base in terms of, like, describing my motivations, but, like it's also a little silly <laughs> um anyhow
0: so, so do you want to start then with your sure sure your results
1: so yeah i'm just going to go through the the 12 categories and just list out what my percentages are sure. it it is like you know over 50 is over, is above average right
0: well why why don't you start with the type that you were assigned mm-hmm. and then and then you- Break it, break down, break, break things down by your percentage.
1: Okay. Well, like I said, my type is acrobat, uh, <clears throat> which is like focused, like the, the, the description of acrobat is focused entirely on, on challenge, um, like practicing something over and over. And like, that does, it does resonate somewhat. I think about like what appeals to me about a game like Dark Souls or Sekiro, mm-hmm. it's like getting to a challenging boss, failing, trying again. Failing again, maybe like getting a little bit further each time, and finally getting that euphoria when I when I complete it. I do I do appreciate that, and I've learned that I like to enjoy playing games on higher difficulties, specifically for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to engage with aspects of a game that I wouldn't otherwise be able to. Um, so, I, I feel like my eye roll at the uh, that uh, that gamer type is a. Uh, uh, a little bit for the terminology of acrobat. Like, I don't even know that I would connect the word acrobat to that description, <laughs> right? Yeah.
2: That name in and of itself reeks of, like, you know, a bunch of boobs in a corporate office yeah. sitting ground. So what do we call this, guys? Are we feeling acrobat? I, I think that, yeah. that you
1: know, I, Oh, God. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But the other thing is, I feel like it really just oversimplifies. If you go back to, like, the Bartle description of Explorer, mm-hmm. yeah. it does talk about how these other things fit into this overarching mm-hmm. categorization and this is like i don't i don't think it even covers half the picture yeah yeah um to to go through the percentages um i got a, I have a 72 percent for destruction <laughs> and a 76 percent for excitement which makes sense i like a lot of action games and i do enjoy blowing stuff up right mm-hmm. um i do enjoy like the adrenaline thrill um under social i have 27% for competition, so definitely a low score, and 52 for community, so kind of a split there. Hmm. And I think that's, that's fairly accurate, too. If anything, I might think that's a little high for competition. It's not that I don't have a competitive streak, but um, I, I'm usually much more like PvE, player versus environment, or player versus enemy in my motivations mm-hmm. um, than wanting to compete against other people. Um, and uh, I, I, ha- I do have a sort of... Like, I don't play multiplayer games, really, aside from Final Fantasy XIV. And in that context, I don't even... Like, I don't have a free company, or a guild is what that would be called in most MMO terms. Like, I don't have a set group of people I hang out with or do stuff with. Because I don't go into the game to have, like, a set social experience with people. Mm -hmm. I do kind of like just finding strangers and doing things with them. Right? Right. Like, the kind of emergent social behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I think a 52 kind of makes sense there. Uh, challenge, I have at 83. That was my highest percentage, I think. So maybe that's why they called me an acrobat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like that Dark Souls experience, I think that does make sense for me. Mm-hmm. And then 49% for strategy, which is also not completely off base, I think. Sometimes I really just want to get in there and slice stuff up. But oh. I do also uh, enjoy taking time in advance to either plot out my moves plot out how i'm going to build my character yeah. um or even i there have been times i've played like final fantasy 8 for example and i've i've spent hours like plotting out basically every decision i was going to make over the course of the game mm-hmm. and like where where am i going to get this spell who am i going to equip it to for what stats and like get really into it like that um I might expect strategy to be higher, but I, I think it's it's a reasonable score for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Under achievement, 34% for completion. Um, so it makes sense. I'm, I'm not super completionist mm-hmm. in my leanings. And 62% for power. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense for me. Uh, I do play a fair number of RPGs. I do like getting more powerful weapons. Mm-hmm. Um it is nice to see the bigger numbers, especially when you get a critical hit. Uh, <laughs> creativity is, is one of the uh, as creativity for me was the the group with the biggest gulf aside. No, biggest golf altogether. I got a fifty six percent for discovery, um, so just experimenting with things, tinkering. But only a ten percent for design. And yeah, I have never been like super into character creation. I was playing mm-hmm. Final Fantasy fourteen for uh, like six years before. I really started engaging with the glamour system, which is mm-hmm. how your character looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been into Minecraft. I never did Mario Maker. Yeah. So that makes sense for me. And then immersion. Uh, so fantasy, I, I scored as 24% and story, 21%. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me thinks those should be higher. Just think, thinking of like the kind of game worlds that I like to engage with.
0: Particularly story. Um, you seem really... You know, like Even just like with Greedfall um definitely not my type of game and a big part of it is cuz i just the world the story but um it seems like a, that seems to be a a gulf in like when i compare the games that we like uh, yeah. it's a big, big part of it seems to be the story you think it's interesting i don't um so yeah that seems like a should be higher for you
1: yeah the the, the one thing i will say in the test defense here under story, it says gamers who score low on story tend to find dialogue and quest descriptions to be distracting and skip through them if possible. Hmm. And I like, for me, it really depends. Sometimes, if I am really invested in the world of a game, I, I will go like through the data log and read everything and read all the quest descriptions. Um, but there are also plenty of games where I'm just kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for me, I think it really depends on the game. There are a lot of games where I just don't engage with that stuff much at all.
2: I see. I kind of wonder. Not to sidetrack, but how uh, how much these sort of uh, forms of analysis are... I mean, I get that this is a corporate thing, so I'm assuming it's as up-to-date as you can be. But, like, there's so many different types of games now. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you go back through older issues of, like, video game magazines...
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's kind of funny if you look at, like, you know, top 100 lists, greatest games ever... And you look at what were considered the greatest games ever, and a lot of them still are, but just the different ways of playing versus, like, EGM's top 100 list from when I was, like, in middle school or something versus what they would put together now. It's, like, night and day. Because when they talk about that, like, with story, you know, oh, you don't want to look through lists or uh, go through a bunch of menus or whatever. It's like, yeah, but, like, some games, you almost have to. Like... You know, Mario is, is famous for, oh, it teaches you how to play it as you're playing. You know, it doesn't give you instructions. It's like you learn by playing. Oh, mm-hmm. move forward, hit Goomba, die. And then you realize, I can't touch that thing. So you go forward and you realize, well, I can jump. Maybe you jump over it. And then you realize, oh, I can jump on it. But then it's like, so you can do that with that game. It's totally fine. But then... Here comes like a Final Fantasy fourteen. And it's like, you're more than likely not gonna be able to just start doing stuff. You're gonna have to sit and read something Mm -hmm. to an extent. So it's like
0: Yeah, I would not have been able to get started as quickly with Final Fantasy Fourteen if I didn't have Zach telling me explaining all the different menu systems and
2: And then there's other issues too in terms of like with narrative where I'm fine with reading dialogue, but when I have to sit and listen to some shrieking, creepy anime voice for something, I instantly stop caring. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh my god, it's like, that is so nauseating. But then if you take that same dialogue, and I'm just reading it, Mm -hmm. I have no problem, and I read it faster. So, like, video games are interesting in that regard, because I've always thought how people can make parallels with, like, games and movies... But you can also easily make parallels with games and comics or games and, I mean, look at entirely text-based narratives. Mm. That's more in common with a novel than anything else. Um, And I think that all these different comparisons I'm talking about are not necessarily always thought about because the industry, it's kind of like when you have the transition from 2D to 3D and the industry is just like, yeah, 3D, 3D, 3D. Mm. Not thinking, well, 2D is still a thing. You can do stuff with it. Uh, with, like, narrative-based games, it's just, oh, yeah, it needs to be, like, movie. It needs to be, like, Uncharted, Uncharted. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what we're seeing so much of. Like, Sony's obsession is that, basically, right now. And it's like, well, yeah, you can do that, but then you can also give me a game where I blast through a bunch of dialogue just scrolling through it. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway.
1: I, no, I find it really depends for me. Like, I, for a long time, I was playing uh, games with voice acting wishing it didn't have voice acting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know there are games like the witcher which i think would be much poorer without the voice acting in them well i think that
2: almost like every game that Supergiant has made benefits from its voice acting because they, yeah. they know how to implement it really well like hades the voice acting is perfect uh, bastions is super neat
1: you know we were playing games in the 90s and like especially in my case when i had i was like i was into like playstation and saturn games before the two you were so i was exposed to a lot of bad voice acting on (laughs) JRPGs, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if you, if if either you've ever played or seen any of, a uh, Grandia or Lunar, um, just like a lot of the early, um, English dubs for Japanese Mm -hmm. games and anime were atrocious. (laughs) Um, Which is fun, though. Some of it's fun because it's so atrocious. It can be, in retrospect, Yeah, it can be.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, So my gamer type on this Quanta Gamer Test was Bounty Hunter Skirmisher. Um, The mottos for these two, for Bounty Hunter, um, high octane, solo, world exploration, Skirmisher, jumping into the fray of battle. Uh, I think for me, especially um, identifying with the... uh, the solo part here Mm -hmm. um i i would much prefer to explore a world alone um than having to do things with other players um although interestingly i think final fantasy XIV is the only game i would actually prefer to play with zach than play alone so um um so my dominant type is the bounty hunter but i also lean toward a secondary player type which is the skirmisher Bounty Hunters are solo, action-oriented explorers who want game worlds that they can make their own through customization and discovery. They also enjoy power progression and unleashing mayhem. Skirmishers <laughs> skirmishers want fast-paced team arenas that are accessible and easy to jump into. They are highly spontaneous gamers who dislike games that require thinking and planning. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I've never been into, say, for example, um, you know, RTS, real-time strategy games. Um, yeah, I'm just not really into the the uh, long-winded plotting, scheming, planning. I'd rather just jump in and play.
1: Imagining you wearing a T-shirt that says "Leroy Jenkins did nothing wrong."
0: <laughs> Leroy Jenkins? Are you
1: not familiar with that? No. Uh, so it's actually it, it it comes from World of Warcraft. Uh, mm-hmm. It was like a video. It turned out to be fabricated, but it was like a bunch of people like in game talking to each other, planning about how to beat the next boss. Mm-hmm. And then, like, halfway through the discussion, one of the characters, Leroy Jenkins, uh, gets, like, bored and just yells, Leroy Jenkins! (laughs) And rushes in, and everyone dies as a result of Leroy pulling the boss early.
0: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't pull a boss early, (laughs) because I I have better etiquette. But, yeah, uh, I can understand his his impatience. Um, So... Comparing, um, you know, my my percentages here um, for the action the action uh, category, I scored ninety seven percent on excitement and ninety percent on destruction.
1: I think that ninety seven was the highest any of us got on anything. <laughs>
0: uh, destruction says that yeah, you know, I tend to gravitate towards games like Call of Duty or Battlefield. Um, and if they accidentally find themselves in games like The Sims, they are the ones who figure out innovative ways to get their Sims killed. Yeah, The Sims is one of those games that I just have never had any interest in. I don't understand why people love it. No offense to anyone who does. But yeah, if that's what I was doing in The Sims, that is that is what I... If if I have found myself playing The Sims, yeah, I'd just be finding ways to get The, the Sims killed. Um, I love Call of Duty. I think it's a lot of fun um i never ended up playing battlefield but yeah that's that's about on point for excitement um 97 percent uh yeah i mean it says um in the description that i might gravitate towards games like halo street fighter injustice or bit trip runner um for me even though i'm not very good at street fighter i get a lot of fun out of that for me it would be more like a smash mm-hmm. um uh or mario kart for that matter uh, you know Says people who score high on this component enjoy games that are fast paced, intense, and provide a constant adrenaline rush. So, certainly uh, Mario Kart and Smash in that regard. For the social components, 92% on competition, 4% on community. Yep. Yeah, that's about right. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty self explanatory. Um, the mastery components, um, this is for players who like challenging gaming experiences with strategic depth and complexity. Uh, I got 12% on challenge and 5% on strategy. <laughs> so again, not a surprise. Um, it's funny cause, uh, dark souls is actually a game that's listed as something for players who score high on the challenge, um, component. And I actually tried to give dark souls, I think it was dark souls three, mm-hmm. a shot, um, I didn't stick with it. I was getting extremely frustrated. It's a great game. It's a beautiful game. It's very interesting, but it just ultimately wasn't something I stuck with. Although I do remember I played late one night. Zach had gone to bed. And um, what uh, what is the, the hub that you return to constantly in 3? Firelink. Yeah, so I'm in the Firelink Shrine. And there was this shadowy figure wandering around outside. I just happened to randomly encounter him. He was so annoying, and I I stuck with it. I killed him, and I told... Because Zach asked me about it in the morning. He was like, so what did you think? What did you do? And I said, well, I encountered this guy. I don't know who he was. I just thought he was annoying, and I said that I killed him, and Zach seemed really surprised and said, I didn't do that until way later (laughs) because I just started the game. Uh, So that was more of my... um, Killer instinct coming out. Where if that was supposed to be something you were supposed to do later, I didn't recognize it as such. I just couldn't stand this. It's
1: guy. definitely something. This is for anyone who's familiar with Dark Souls Three. This is uh, like outside Firelink Shrine. The the guy in just like a like a loin or rags, who's got like a katana and just you know baits players into attacking him and then messes them up. Um, it's definitely something that's possible to beat at the beginning of the game, as Angela has demonstrated. <laughs> But he can also kill you really quickly and it's a big step up from the enemies you've fought before that.
0: <laughs> so, um, for the achievement components, uh, I ranked 46% completion and 56% power. Um, high achievement scores are for players who are driven to accrue power, rare items, and collectibles, even if this means grinding. Gamers with low achievement scores have a relaxed attitude towards in-game achievements and don't worry too much about their scores or progress in the game. Um, so if you've got a high completion score, which I, I wouldn't necessarily say I did at 46%, um, you want to finish everything the game has to offer. I don't. So, um, uh, but, you know, I, I do, however, like in games like, like Ghost of Tsushima, um, I wanted all of the, the Mongol, Mong, uh, Mongol artifacts. And so even though I did not ultimately end up going back and finding every, actually, or did I? I might have done that at least. I think I went back after I finished the game and found all the Mongol artifacts, but then some of the other things like, um, I didn't get all the samurai banners, even though I kind of wanted to. So it just depends on how much those things interest me. Um, for power, gamers who score high in power, they strive for power in the context of the game world. They want to become as powerful as possible and they seek out the strongest tools, the strongest armor and weapons. Um, it's not necessarily anything I'm super driven by, which is why my score was 56% there. For the creativity components, I, discover, uh, or excuse me, I scored 25% on Discovery and only 10% on Design. Makes sense. The only game with any Design components I've ever been interested in is Animal Crossing. Hmm. Um, you know, making my island look the way I want it, and more importantly, making my house the way I want it. Upgrading it to the max, having all the possible rooms, having all of the coolest items. Otherwise, something like Minecraft, zero interest, Mario Maker, um, I really didn't play much of that at all. Um, the Discovery component, which I scored a little higher on, 25%, but that's not high at all. Um, players are constantly asking what if, um, for them, game worlds are fascinating contraptions to open up and tinker with in an MMO, which I don't play. Um, well, maybe Final Fantasy fourteen would be mm-hmm. an MMO, but other than that, I don't play those. In an MMO, they might swim out to the edge of the ocean to see what happens. Um, you might experiment with, um, you know, day to night proximity to zombies. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> in days gone, there actually is a day to night component. Uh, what you know, in terms of um, what happens if you go out to fight zombies during the day or the night, I would constantly go to bed so I wasn't out at night when. The freakers are out in droves. You can encounter hordes of Freakers at night more commonly than you would during the day. So no, uh, <laughs> I'm not interested in discovering what happens if I'm around zombies at night during the day. <laughs> um, in the immersion components, yeah, I actively avoided it. The immersion components, I scored 38% on fantasy and 13% on story. Um, the difference being... Fantasy is for players who want gaming experiences that allow them to become someone else somewhere else. Um, Story is uh, players who want games with elaborate campaign storylines and a cast of multi-dimensional characters with interesting backstories and personalities. Um, Gotta
1: keep up with your soaps.
0: Yeah. That's the only time I'm interested in (laughs) stories (laughs) like that. You know, the young and the restless. Um, No, but yeah, I mean... I'm not the type of person who's like, I need to be deeply immersed. I'm not. Um interestingly though, I would rather have um characters that are like like a predetermined pre created character. I I can't stand um Character creators, it really sucks when your character is just this generic thing.
1: Well, of course, I refer to you to your design score.
0: Yes, the, there you go. Yeah, and it's just not so. There are some people that are just so into character creators. They need this character to be, uh, um, what do they call that? You know, like a, like basically you, you know, they, they need it to represent them. I just, I don't need that at all.
1: How do you feel about your scores as a whole? Is there anything.
0: Um. I mean, it seems pretty spot on. Uh, I think the very heavy leanings towards, you know, like 92% competition, 97% excitement, 90% destruction. I think that's totally really spot on thinking of all the games that I I gravitate towards. I mean, obviously my favorite series of all time is The Legend of Zelda, Mm -hmm. which I wouldn't necessarily say is destructive or super exciting or... um, Or anything like that. But that may actually be an exception. You know, um, thinking of the games I play most, they do tend to be competitive. Um, You know, fighting games, racing games, um, beat-em-ups. I like a lot of those. Um, So,
1: yeah. You know, a lot of big games like uh, Zelda or Final Fantasy or whatever, um, like, they scratch a lot of different inches for a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. You know, like... Zelda might be a game that at least clears the threshold, even if it doesn't, like, exemplify exciting, Mm -hmm. destructive gameplay. Yeah. um, It still scratches that itch and then has these other things that appeal to you also. Yeah. Right? So that that makes sense to me. Robert? Okay. Um,
2: So if I'm looking at my results, I'm going to read it a little differently than the other two. So there's your primary motivations, and I'm going to say what they are so sixty five percent action sixteen percent social mastery thirty eight percent achievement twenty percent creativity twenty four percent and immersion fifteen percent hmm. so then if you break that down it's, it goes into you know your what they're calling your secondary motivation so seventy six percent excitement forty nine percent destruction uh, I think that sounds about right you know I love uh I love going into a game, and there's a lot of action and uh, a lot to do. I'm not sure how that necessarily relates to, like, my feelings about something like Donkey Kong Country, (laughs) which I'll play endlessly, but I thought those sounded accurate. Uh, Competition, 39%. Community, 7%. So 39% for the competition. I guess that sounds right, especially because I don't play as much of, like, kind of online games like Call of Duty like I used to. But uh, I definitely, if I'm going to get into that environment, it's going to be to compete. Community's so down at the bottom of my priorities for that. <laughs> uh, so then challenge, 60%, and strategy, 22%. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like pretty much every type of game. Um, I think probably the only genre I'm not huge on might be like... Um, it was just in my head, and I would escape. Um, what was it? Cause I like strategy games. Like Angie doesn't like them. I, I like real time strategy and stuff like fire emblem, those kind of games, uh, Advance wars. Um, but in terms of a game, I don't like playing. I'm trying to think of sh- strategy. Oh, it's simulation game. Sorry. I don't <laughs> know why I stalled on that. Um, so like if I, so I don't, I've never played the Sims, but I love SimCity 2000 and, mm. For me, though, that game, what I loved about it wasn't the strategy of like, oh, if I do this, this, and that, you know, the town will have money. For me, what I liked about it was like, if I place these elements here and watch time go by, I like seeing the development Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, it's not very strategic. (laughs) It's like, give me a code so that I can have infinite money and I just get to see what my town does. I would always take uh some of the pre-made towns in SimCity 2000 mm-hmm. and I would level whole giant chunks of it <laughs> because you had so much money it didn't matter and I would just restart figure out how I wanted the roads to look all that. And that was where I got joy.
0: See, when I was a kid, I used to like causing the mayhem and destruction. Yep. With uh, the, natural the natural disasters. disasters yeah. or the, the alien that would come that would come in.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you have the Super Nintendo version, like the original SimCity, or just SimCity 2000? We had 2000 on a
2: Mac that our Uncle Leonard let uh, us play. Mm-hmm.
1: On the Super Nintendo version of SimCity, um, you can actually have Bowser come and destroy areas <laughs> of your That's town. Super That's super funny. That's
0: really cool.
1: In the... In the Like, the PC or Mac version original, it it was, like, some kind of, like, Godzilla-type kaiju. But Mm. they made it Bowser, King Koopa for for Super Nintendo. SimCity 2000
2: still has one of the best soundtracks in all Mm -hmm. video games.
0: It's a good
2: one. Completion, 46%. Power, 7%. Um, Well, you know, like I said, completion's important to me depending on the game. Like, not every game am I going to be like, oh, I have to get, you know, every single thing. Like, I have this weird relationship with the puzzle pieces in the last two Donkey Kong Country games. Where, like, I'm way more concerned with getting those Kong letters.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the puzzle pieces are secondary. But anyway, that sounds about right, I think. Then Discovery was 83%, and Design was 3%. Hmm. So, I, I just, I do not care about character creation. Like,. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's kind of cool to sit and tweak a character, but like I get nauseated when I'm like, it's like, oh, you can expand this part of his cheeks and then do this to his jawline. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't care. It's just too much minutiae with too little reward. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I get from all that? The- it's like he's 100 feet from me most of the time. Yeah, the <laughs>
1: weird thing about that for me is they usually make you do that like, at minute zero before you get invested in everything, you know? I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I just want to, like, get in and mess Mm -hmm. with stuff, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um,
2: And, like, I've enjoyed the Mario Maker games. Those are pretty cool. But I also have never, like, really sat and just spent a ton of time on my own just, like, oh, making whole levels and doing this. But then Unreal Engine I'll sit and enjoy. Like, I've sat and made environments in there, and that... Appeals to my curiosity, but maybe on some level, that taps into the part of my brain that likes arranging furniture and Animal Crossing.
0: Hmm. You know, it's interesting, Robert. You said you got what was it, eighty three percent in Discovery. Hmm. That's really high. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is again for players who are constantly asking, "What if?" Um, so you're gonna, and you know, when I think about like growing up, you know, you were the one that knew, you know, about like secret world in um, in Mario World. Or you were the one that knew, like, the secrets in Donkey Kong Country that I didn't know. Like, I, I would not, unless it was really obvious to me, like, in Zelda bomb that wall, because it's cracked, I wasn't the one like exploring and finding different ways to finish a stage like Robert would be.
2: Yeah, like, I remember uh, Walden Books in South Shore and Alameda, they had a uh, Mario World Secrets book. I wish I could remember what it was called, but it it's shaped like a paperback, maybe a little bit bigger, all black and white inside. Mm-hmm. But it was a walkthrough for the entire game, and it also covered all of the secrets. And those that was what was most appealing to me. It was like, oh, wait, so there's Star Road, but then, oh, you can actually go into a different world Beyond that, that's even more secret, and then it changes every bit of the game, because then the Koopa Troopers are now wearing Mario masks, and Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that, even now, my brain loves more than anything else, but when it gets into the, like, creativity portion of it, it's not as big of a deal to me. I mean, it's like, I know we talk a lot about, like, even, like, representation in games, and I'm like, well, maybe tapping into this second part, you know, like, with Fantasy, I'm at 15. And then story 21. So, like, immersion for me, like, I do think the escape is more appealing to me. It's like, I don't really need a five foot eight overweight Mexican guy <laughs> in the game. Like, that doesn't make me feel like I'm more part of it. Um, and I'm not saying I don't appreciate stuff like that. Like, I played Grim Fandango, and I thought that was really cool because, it, like, you had some of these characters who were speaking with, like, a Hispanic accent. And I think there's even a little bit of Spanish in the game. I was like, that's kind of cool. I'm like, yeah, I've never really heard anyone t- you know, talk like that. And I'm Mexican, so it, it, there was some appeal to that. But, like, the kind of way that people fix on fixate on it now, I'm like, well, part of me is playing this not to, like, desperately recreate my life. Like, mm-hmm. the whole point of this is, like, I can't fly down a pipe <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, slice a skeleton in half like Link.
1: Um how much do you identify with, like, being the character you're playing as? Hmm. I guess... Like, when you're playing The Witcher, do you walk around saying, I'm a witcher? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily that
2: deep... But for me, it's never some kind of barrier because like, oh, I don't look like that character. Mm -hmm. Like I can play Tomb Raider and I'm not an attractive white woman, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm totally enjoying it and I'm into it. And I think that that, I mean, honestly, that's, I feel like in some ways that's sort of the point is that you are not the thing that you're playing as. It's like, why, again, why play if it's just going to be a recreation of what is around you? I mean, again... That doesn't mean that you can't include bits and pieces there. And there are games where maybe it's supposed to be more grounded. But overall, the escapism is what's interesting.
0: Yeah, I feel the same as Robert. You know, when I think of my favorite video game characters, the characters that I've liked the most or I've been drawn to the most or even the characters that I've identified with the most, they were completely opposite for me. The majority of them are men. Um or I think of like Majima and Kiryu, I mean, they're Japanese men. I mean, Robert are not Japanese or Mexican. Uh, you know, uh, Geralt, uh, there are things about myself that I, I see in Geralt and um, he's extra pasty <laughs> and uh, sort of borderline, not even really human anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I, that probably explains also why I, I scored as low as, a low, like Robert did um, in these categories.
2: Well, it's like if you look at Metroid, I mean, Samus is one of my favorites, and I've always thought it was really cool how Samus being female is so, it's like it's not a point of fixation. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's why I felt Other M kind of failed in certain ways when she's like constantly saying, you oh, the baby, the baby. <laughs> It's just like, that's not Samus, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. Samus being a woman is immaterial. Mm -hmm. She just is a woman. And she kicks as much ass as anybody else. And especially when you're playing the Prime games and you're going through the... um, When you're scanning stuff and getting, like, uh, security logs and information from the space pirates. The way that it's so clear that they're scared of her was so freaking cool to me. And again, I'm not woman. I'm not a woman, I'm not a space bounty hunter, none of it, but as you're playing that part and you're in the game, it's really funny and cool thinking, man, I'm attacking enemies that are actually frightened of me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's that's where my enjoyment comes in. I think this particular test, because some of my percentages feel s- somewhat skewed, like designs at 3%, I don't know if I'm like that disinterested, but... <laughs> This test I don't think spoke to me as much Mm because I just remember going through some of the replies and it had a little bit of corporate robotness going on and I think that turned me off a bit and I didn't maybe engage with it as much as I should have or maybe as honestly as I should have. I don't know.
0: Also too, you know, like I'm very heavily geared here towards action and I know that that's pretty true just generally speaking, but I think of some of my favorite games like Mario RPG that's way slower paced than some of the other games that I really enjoy. Mario RPG is one of my all-time favorite games. Um, Pokemon, you know, and especially uh, Gens 1 and 2. There's battle for sure, but there's also a lot of slow plotting and talking to people and and, exp- and exploring the, the forests and the cities and towns. And um, this is certainly not... Uh, I think this is actually the, a good takeaway, a good way to kind of wrap all this up is that these tests can really help, especially if maybe like, maybe you're just getting into games and you, you don't really know what you might be interested in. And so this is kind of a good way to kind of gear you towards games to start with. But if you've been playing games your, your whole life, this is just, it's more of an interesting uh, experiment. And, and it is interesting to, because like I said, not all of this is off. Some of this is clearly spawn on, um, but it's not going to be a hundred percent. Because, um, like I said, there are there are games that are not entirely in the excitement wheelhouse or action wheelhouse that I do really love.
1: Did either of you look at the recommendations?
0: Like, like, sorry, I should also know, like, I've put in, like, over 1,100 hours in Animal Crossing yeah. New, or New Horizons, and that is not an exciting action-based game. But sorry, can you repeat what yeah, you
1: said? If you, uh, I think you both have your Quantic Foundry results page up on your phone. Mm-hmm. So, kind of like right below the hexagonal graph, mm-hmm. there's an explore this profile's video game recommendations. Mm. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Okay, I'm going to click I'll on click that. It.
1: Um,
0: it's generating recommendations.
1: Yeah. So for me, I won't read the whole list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's suggesting things like Dark Souls, Left for Dead, Dead Cells, Doom, Enter the Gungeon. So it's it's really got like a type of game it thinks it wants me to play.
0: Well, for me, uh, the first page of results are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Call of Duty games and two Battlefield games.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, my recommendations are spot on and I own all of them. Super Meat Boy, Spelunky Classic, Shovel Knight Celeste, Metroid Prime Series, Super Metroid, Galaxy, 64. Hyperlight Drifter, Resident Evil Four, got him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we're good. Yeah.
0: When I go to the second page, it's a little more, a um, little more nuanced. About like Far Cry Four, the God of War series, Doom Eternal, Doom Fortnite. No, thank you.
1: How high um, are your numbers? Because um, oh, even I on see. the first page, my highest score was five point five.
0: Six point four is the highest one for Black Ops Four, um, and then the rest are in the low fives and
2: high fours well what's the i don't get those numbers in terms of
0: i, th- I think it's, it's
2: like strength of recommendation yeah exactly well, what's the highest? How,
0: how much i think it's gonna be out of 10.
2: Well, i don't think so because mine is 14.0 for a super meat boy wow oh, it's wow. really got you pegged okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'd
2: right, be yeah. curious to know what it goes up to yeah because it's 14.0 12.5 for spelunky i don't like spelunky that much <laughs> <laughs> and then shovel knight 11.2 interesting celeste is a 7.5 the irony there being that i don't think any game has ever made me as angry as celeste i love celeste (laughs) but oh man i almost broke my pro controller like there i don't like yeah some people like smash a controller into the ground or stuff like that Mm -hmm.
0: yeah
2: i don't do that kind of thing but i slapped the crap out of my controller in frustration when i was playing because i was just like there's no way i'm doing this wrong (laughs) I'm like, why is it just not reading this right? And I, I remember like smacking the thing, and to this day, I wonder if I did damage to <laughs> it. Anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, yeah, you're, there's I got 56 recommended games, and almost all of them are things that I'm really not interested in. So, hmm. you know, um, again, if you take these these tests, dear listeners. Um, It really is just kind of more for the fun of taking it and seeing how accurate it is to you. Um, And it may not actually be super accurate. You know yourself best.
1: Yeah, I I think it can be like useful or illuminating to take one of these tests, but you have to kind of take it like, I don't know, it's kind of like having your picture painted or like a caricature done or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And you look at it and you're going to see aspects of yourself that you might not have thought about before. Mm -hmm. But it's still, it's not... You, right? You gotta... This is, like, this algorithm's interpretation of you. And do we all feel like the Bartle test's results felt more...
0: I think so. Um,
1: True to ourselves?
0: Yeah, because even just, like, describing me as a killer... Mm -hmm isn't that that still applies for a game like Mario RPG or Pokemon where like I said I'm not interested in keeping the moves that are more defensive. I'm interested in keeping the moves that are more offensive. But they're completely different like whether you're talking about um you know do I take a more offensive approach in Smash Bros or do I take a more offensive approach in yeah, pokemon or mario rpg or do i take a more offensive approach in even the witcher 3 yeah um i am still more of a killer in those games more offensive than i am defensive
2: well i think it's fascinating because if i mean you know, this is just a test it's not that serious but mm-hmm. Ain't it is that deep <laughs> yeah, uh, it is kind of part of the same wheelhouse as like algorithms of like Your apps that are trying to figure out, oh, you know, this is the product you'll be interested in. This is the thing that you'll be interested in. And like this kind of odd notion that there's this absolute quantification of everyone. You know, it's like, oh, this is your algorithm. This is exactly who you are Mm -hmm. based on this, this, and that. Yeah. And it's this kind of obsession with it that continues to emerge that is, I don't know, It's just so, like, soul-sucking after a certain point. Because, like, it's fun when you're not taking it seriously. But, like, the poor schmo that works at Starbucks that's, like, working on the app who's, like, told, so you need to figure out how to get people to engage. And if they're going to Starbucks twice a day, we want them to go three times, four times a day. And so that poor guy's having to look at every little thing you do and figure, okay, so if I I push him here, that's enough. That's what'll get him to come in the third time. (laughs) It's just like, dude, I'm going to come in if I want to come in. Your stupid app means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. But like, that's that's what what you think. (laughs) It's like, that's what we're all kind of being funneled towards. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly obnoxious because it's corporate driven. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, like, it's fascinating too, because it's, this is more of an emergent kind of thing of late, right? So like the past 10 years, let's just say, where it's really become prevalent. If you think about it, how do you create that quantification of a person if you don't have all of the trial and error before it. Because if you're starting from 0.0, like if you're a kid who was born today, Mm -hmm. and if your parent's dumb and they make sure that you have a smart device attached to you from childhood forward... You're already being cataloged. Mm-hmm. And so it's already going to be saying, here's everything that, you know, Timmy likes at age four. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so if that's what you're just endlessly doing, where does the, you know, the trial and error come in at that point?
1: Well, I mean, it's all, it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be better than the lack of information from, from like, the point of view of the person trying to sell you things, right? you,
0: you know, there are a lot of people who actually live their lives like this today, where it's, I have no idea what I want to watch on Netflix. Let me let Netflix recommend to me what I'm going to watch. Or I don't even know what I want to watch, period, which is why I have Netflix, because I don't have any existing movies or shows that I'm really interested in in owning you know, or having like a library of like Blu-rays or whatever. I'm just, I'm just going to let Netflix tell me what to watch or Disney Plus or whatever. Or I don't know what to listen to, so I'm going to put on Spotify and just let a bunch of random songs play at me and then I decide what I want to watch or what I want to listen to. Or games, you know, like, I don't know what to play next, so I'm just going to do, you know, just try out something that's available for free right now on Game Pass or something like that. This well, is how so many people How just, dare you? No offense. And, and again, no offense to anybody who this is actually how you you live your life. Everybody's different and things are going to work differently for different people. But we are kind of reaching this point where algorithms are controlling so much. And even this more corporate test, the Quandrick Foundry one, it's like, oh, okay, well, based off of these, you're more likely to like these games.
1: It's kind of interesting. These are like, as you're describing it, these algorithms take on like a similar role as like horoscopes or Punxsutawney Phil or like reading the entrails of chickens or whatever, right? (laughs) Like, Just just trying to find (laughs) like, it's like, I can't decide. I don't know, just... Tell me, Punxsutawney Phil, do I need to dress for winter for another six
0: weeks? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like when you go shopping, if you're in like the Sephora app or whatever, or the Ulta app, and it's like, well, based off of your previous purchases, you bought this brow product, so maybe you're going to like this, or you tried this skincare product, maybe you're going to like this one. And it's like, well, no, probably not. (laughs) You know, this,
2: it kind of makes me think of uh, sports. There's a lot of people who are, especially lately, they're really irritated talking about instant replay. And they're like, well, you know, instant replay can do this, this, and that, but we still have errors in terms of, uh, you know, the calls that umpires and referees make. And I sympathize. Believe me, I'm a sports fan. Love the Oakland A's. But part of me likes that there is that crazy, wild element of the human error. Mm -hmm. And it is part of the game. And when you start getting to... A point where you're trying to just make everything absolutely perfect. It's like, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like kind of part of it. And it's irritating when it doesn't go your way for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's like, but if if something wacky happens and look at that, your team ends up getting one. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know what? That's just part of the experience. And Mm -hmm. we're veering away from that with the endless like automation and Mm -hmm. the algorithm. And that's like Netflix. I remember when I started using it, you know, it gives you, this is an 80% match yes. for, like, what you're going to watch. And I laugh because I'm thinking, you know, this thing has no access to the videos in my brain that I've seen. So it might think, like, oh, yeah. oh, he's not going to be mm-hmm. interested in, in this. And it's like when I've actually watched this mm-hmm. entire series. You know what, um,
0: what actually reminds me of, we were just talking to, to our uncle last night. And um, he recently got a new car and he was talking about how he was trying to back out of uh, our aunt's driveway uh, but because it's the sensors in the back are so hypersensitive it was it was not letting him back out and it's for his own safety and you know it's it's good that these things exist but at the same time i was telling him no joke i would rather risk <laughs> just getting smashed into than having my car my own car fight me and not allow me to do what i want to do because of this fear of error of now of course the error here is a lot bigger than um, you know, losing a baseball game, it's you could become paralyzed or lose your life. But uh, I would rather just not be controlled by the car or really much of anything at all in my life and just let let me mess up. Let me make that mistake.
1: We know, uh, Zach, what's the book called?
2: Paco's book? Why We Shop? Why We Buy. Why We Buy.
1: The Science of Shopping by Paco Underhill. <laughs> That's right.
2: So uh, I've been on a reading kick lately and Zach lent me that book and I'm almost halfway through it. And it's fun to read because the edition he gave me is from 99 or 2000. around there. So it's, you know, 20 years ago how marketing and all that worked in the United States. Or more specifically, the actual physical arrangement of a store. And kiosks. And signs in stores. And it was kind of cool. It's cool reading it because like a lot of it is still applicable today. You know, we still go to places like Target and whatever. But... Reading it and thinking, you know, this guy's trying to analyze how people shop, but every – the majority of it was external indicators. And sure, they would go talk to people in an interview, but uh, for to, to clarify, Paco's company basically, you know, like CVS would hire him and say, hey, we noticed that, you know, sales are down. Come look at the arrangement of the store and tell us what we're doing wrong. And so Paco would show up with like a bunch of cameras and a crew of people who – would film every bit of the store, every aisle. They'd go look at how every bit of the store was arranged and stocked. And then they would fo- they follow customers around. So they might pick a random person who walks in and then just trail them. And then just see how long do they linger in front of the aspirin? What do they do with the aspirin bottles? What do they do with the price stickers? And then from there, create a picture of, so this is what you're doing right, this is what you're doing wrong. So like one store... Uh, they had studied was in a mall, and they noticed that the aspirin sales were low. And typically, people just go in and they get their aspirin, but in this store, it wasn't really working. So they figured out that the problem was that a lot of the people who were buying the aspirin in the stores were elderly or older, and it was right near where the refrigerators were. And so the kids in the mall that the store was located in, that worked in the mall, would go on break, run in. And grab their drinks. And because they were in a rush and because they were young and they were moving fast, this would turn off the older shoppers and they would not want to go near the aspirin because then they'd be near the kids. So when they told the store that, the store switched where the refrigerators were. The old people could get their aspirins and life was good. The kids got their drinks. And I think this ended up becoming a model for these kind of stores all over the country. But but anyway, all of it to me is it's fascinating because it's still not quite as in your brain as an app.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I don't know why the distinction matters to me, but I just there's something creepy about one tech is trying to get really into your brain versus what they're allowed to figure out without going inside of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like these tests are cool, you know, because you know you get a sense of who you are but it's also kind of part of that culture that i'm not
1: super interested in sure mm-hmm.
0: this was our i don't know if it's our longest episode yet but it was an extra long
1: it depends on how much nonsense i cut out oh
0: i see <laughs> extra,
1: but this could be our longest
0: yeah which is fitting for our 10th our 10th episode very interesting um learning learning things about ourselves and about each other that we maybe didn't necessarily know uh, and tapping into the things that we did know, but it's always um, interesting hearing these things about ourselves. Uh, So thank you for joining us and we will see you next time. We still have to figure out what we're going to talk about next time and the time after that and after that, but...
1: We'll figure it out before we start recording. That's right. That's that's our promise to you.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us. (laughs)